Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to podcast 128. My name's Dan Moylan. Michael Normanton is here with me. A bit happier today. Yes, and Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hi. Final match of the season, our preview of that to come. Well, the final regular match of the regular season, because we've got plenty more excitement where that came from. Final issue for this season, issue 10 came out versus Villa and will be on sale for the playoff semi-final, I presume? It will, unfortunately. You can get 10 years of issues, including that one as well. If you fancy subscribing, have a look at the digital subscription online. Works out at a quid a month. All the articles on there go onto the website in nice, phone-friendly format. Or if you prefer, you can have a look at them, how they were intended, how they were laid out for the mag as well. All that is at the squareball.net. Heroes and villains coming up in what could be an extended section a little bit later on. First of all, let's round off our home matches for this season, the regular season anyway, and a nice, quiet, uneventful, dead robber, against Aston Villa, gents. That was my fear for the first sort of half an hour of the game, maybe 20 minutes. I did think, certainly after we'd had the parade of children before the match and all that kind of stuff, for the under-23s taking a trophy around before the game, I did think this could all fall a bit flat. This is just going to be a bit of a, a dead game. Then uh, then the referee started whistling. That changed things. Yeah, I thought I thought the atmosphere was not bad, actually. It could have been, it had the potential mm. to be very flat after... Kind of, we came into this knowing that there was no chance, despite what you were you were claiming, Moscow about thirteen nil wins or whatever. Came into it knowing that there was no chance of going up, and it had the potential for everyone to just be wanting it to be over with. But I don't know. I thought the Villa fans were quite loud. We were loud. It, it felt like a competitive game. It gradually increased over the course of the first half, I think. And yeah, and by the time Stuart Atwell blew for half time, deliberately when we were about to score a goal. I started thinking about halfway through the first half that all he seems to be doing was trying to set up all the petty sort of grudge matches and arguments and rivalries and controversy that will then spill over and come back at Wembley in the playoff final. I didn't realise it was going to be taken to the extreme. It was in the second half, but I was looking around going like, this is all just setting up to really kick off for the rematch. Didn't you think as well, though, given the events of Easter, that this was exactly the thing that we needed? And who would have thought it, given the way that it panned out? Because it went completely mental. It's strange that a, such a horrible refereeing performance might be the thing that gets our season back on track. Because it it definitely helped. It got the crowd up again, and the players seemed the players seemed annoyed, which I think they've not seemed in recent weeks. Like against Brentford, they just looked sad that it was all, that it had all gone wrong. Whereas in this, they were like, actually, no, fucking hell, Grealish is a twat. And in the post match press conference, you compare Bielsa in his 
pre-Aston Villa press conference where he looked about as depressed as we've we've seen him and was talking about the the sadness he has like no argument you can create can explain away the sadness that a supporter feels and I've let them down because they feel sad I feel sad he looked very very happy with his afternoon's work at the end of this almost like that was the the best thing that could have possibly happened as the pronunciation clip and as the somebody asked him about who he wanted in the playoffs he misunderstood he's like oh I thought you were you were suggesting you could play because I haven't got any players left they're all injured ha 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 and um yeah it seems like spending all afternoon arguing with the fourth official and then getting uh having John Terry in his uh grill was just the tonic he needed to sort of get his mojo back I was a bit worried by that pre-match press conference. First time I think we've heard Bielsa sound almost defeated. But then I think he's, I think he's just the way he is. He's very, he's very honest and realistic about things. And because it's generally been a positive season, he's generally been positive. But this bit of it is over. The automatic promotion, which we have been going for, has finished. And he's just being honest in his sadness about that. When he was manager of Velez in Argentina, they won the Clazara. It's the last, uh, domestic title he actually won 1998 and they uh they only lost one game in the that Clazara the second half of the season and that, that night the players decided they'd all they were all going to watch the Rolling Stones play in Buenos Aires and they, they went anyway and he said to them but he, well he got them all in afterwards and he just said I don't understand how you can do that after a defeat because to me the only thing that can lift a defeat is when you is when you finally get to go and have another training session. And he he characterised and said, I wouldn't have the courage that you have to go and enjoy a rock concert at this time because he, I mean, he did after uh, when Newells were losing and he thought he wasn't doing a good job. He went and locked himself in a room for three months essentially and came out of it questioning. He said that his response had been uh, so ridiculous that it started making him thinking about... Um, his infant daughter had been critically ill and had nearly died. And he said, but he'd felt worse thinking about Newell's old boys. And he said, that struck me as maybe that's a ridiculous way of being. But then he decided, actually, no, that's exactly the right way to be. That's that's perfectly correct. And he kind of said that in his thing on, in his pre-Villa press conference, he said, people tell me that there are more important things than football. You shouldn't be upset about something like this. But he just said, football is like that. Because they kept asking him, how, how are you lifting your spirits? How are you getting out of it? And he was just like, I'm not. <laughs> you are sad after a defeat like that. You are sad after you've let the supporters down the way I feel that I have until you're not. Like he said, there's no way you can fake it. You just, this is how it is. It's very Bielsa to indulge in the process to get through something, isn't it? Whether it's a match or his grief. Yep. And I think the whole uh, weekend was very Bielsa in a way. I think we entered Bielsa's world in the second half, which I don't think Dean Smith, John Terry and the rest of them really were reckoning on. Well, was it not Stuart Atwell's worlds that um, Bielsa invaded and took over? Because that refereeing performance, was that one of the worst you've seen? I know because it's fresh in the memory, we're going to say that, but wasn't he really, really bad? It's the worst we've seen since Brentford. (laughs) Yeah, but it was. He he was very keen to draw attention to himself, I thought, and he seemed desperate to give free kicks for any perceived foul on a Villa player, whether or not there was one or whether or not they just complained that there was one which Grealish did relentlessly. It completely enabled that, didn't he? Completely enabled it. Yeah, and Grealish, things with Grealish, I know he's an easy target because he's got shit hair and he struts about with little socks on, which are things we should hate him for, admittedly. But it's the way it's the way he, he sort of bleats onto referees as if he's the only person on the pitch who has any physical contact on him. Like It is a, it is a physical game and people do grab and nudge each other about a bit. But he always, even the smallest bits of contact, there was one where Calvin Phillips pulls his sleeve a bit 
and he, he falls over, which obviously you wouldn't do if someone pulled your sleeve. Your you'd arm might move about three inches. But he kind of goes down and looks at the ref and he's like, oh, referee, I can't, I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> he's got me slave. Did you see um, after he got punched against Birmingham City when the fan ran on, there's a clip of him turning round and he's kind of looking dazed, holding his head. And when you lip read it, he says, oh my God, but in the you can see on his lips, yeah. it's the broadest oh my God. brummy you've ever seen. He even dived for that punch. Because that was a really shit punch, but I presume he didn't see it. He so he, it he assumed it was a player. So he thought, I'm going to go down for this. Yeah. Because he's, because then he's, he's definitely getting sent off. And you're right. That was the biggest thing with Atwell of just, not to, not for to it. suggest that it's okay for fans to run and punch players. Punching players on the pitch and invading pitches is wrong. However, you do look at it through a slightly different prism now, having seen him in, in the flesh. And at the time, I thought, that's not a punch that has knocked him over because mm. he sort of hit him in the neck with his forearm. It was a strange sort of thing. Did you see the Birmingham fan who tweeted this afternoon saying, uh, of, you know, is it Hurahen who punched, um, Bamford, was it? Or click? No, punch click. Yeah, yeah that little rabbit said, punch. Punching players on a football field, doesn't that get you jailed? It's <laughs> a fair point. Well, it was pretty outrageous. You can't just go over and just give somebody a little dig in the kidneys. He tried doing that on, on the sly as well, so no one would see it. Yeah. The, the sort of, the Bruce Lee one-inch punch, is it? I can't remember. But yeah, trying to trying to punch him in. He was trying to use Grealish for cover as well, and Grealish just moves away at the at the wrong second because he was he would have he would have hidden it, but he just he just got that little dig in. And obviously there was the assault on Bamford that we need to we need to address separately. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. Poor Patrick having to go through something like that. I mean, he suffered there, didn't he? At the hands of some brutes. I mean, yeah, we're dealing with this all out of order, but uh, Bamford's just... Well, I'll tell you what then. Pause that. Okay. Let's rewind and go through this chronologically because it will make most sense to us and the person listening as well. So we're dealing with Stuart Atwell. We right. need to establish... Because we called, what was the referee we were talking about last week? Stroud. Stroud. Fucks pigs. We know this. I've been looking through various lists of animals and uh, adventure playgrounds to, to try and establish where Atwell might fit on this scale. If Stroud, can I, can if I just Stroud, ask you to be really careful about Stroud you- allegedly fucks pigs? Because Atwell took incompetent refereeing to a completely different place. I could only come up with the idea after watching his desperation to impress... Jack Grealish all afternoon as if he really wanted him to like oh please we, if I give you this free kick will you be my friend can I come round to your house for tea after and it just struck me as kind of any pets that he has tried to show affection to has run away that's my take on Stuart Howell he's a person that animals run away from not in fear just because they don't like him danger to all animals not a danger just um, well there's perceived danger there clearly just no animal is capable of returning love to him much as the way that his parents never showed him love. And I think he has gone through his life unloved. He was he was a Premier League referee at 25 years old. That does not to me suggest that he has had a sound upbringing or has decent values or is a good human being. <laughs> I'd forgotten of Atwell as well. He's the referee that allowed the... Well, he didn't allow it because it was never a goal. He gave a goal to Reading against Watford where, well, the ball didn't go anywhere near the goal. And there was an assumption it was a given a goal kick... And the goalkeeper was there with the ball in the six-yard box and no one quite knew what was going on. And it, on that occasion, he was acting on advice from his linesman, but I'm still happy to blame him. You know, the whole reason he is uh, refereeing in our league is because he was demoted yeah. from the Premier League. Um, Mike Riley at the time backed Atwell to improve as a referee and return to the top level. That was six, nearly seven years ago that they were saying, oh, he'll just have a little time in the uh, in the championship. He'll get better and he'll come back to the top level. Nope. He's still refereeing us and doing a terrible, terrible job of it. So chronologically, 
that's now established. Stuart Atwell, attention-seeking prick who no living soul, animal or human, has ever loved. So the unlovable Atwell has lost control of this game. Right. (laughs) Villa have been diving around a lot. Ball breaks to Tyler Roberts on halfway. Then what happens? Well, first of all, their player fouls Liam Cooper is what happens. He then stays down, having fouled our player. So the ref doesn't appear to give a free kick to us either or or play advantage. He just sort of doesn't Doesn't see it it as anything, even though it clearly is a foul. Roberts has a little look to the ref who gives him no indication of what to do. So should the game have been stopped in your opinion? No. No. There's no reason to stop it. Roberts fell into that trap that opposition players use in this situation to stop what Click then did. They start going like, oh, you should put the ball out of play. Everybody knows that there's nothing in the rules to say you should put the ball out of play if a player's down injured unless it's head injury or unless the referee stops it. That's the only way, if it's a head injury or if the referee thinks, oh, well, actually his leg is so severely broken that he'll die if we don't do something about this. But players play on that where they just create that doubt. Oh, no, he's hurt. Like, you should put the ball out. You should put the ball out. And Roberts, who is 20, and this is his first season in championship football. So he kind of starts looking around going like, oh, do I do I need to put the ball out? And I think he kind of abdicates responsibility. He just goes, you know what, clicky, just take the ball. So he just kicks it in the general direction of click. Click is a different character to Tyler Roberts. As I think we've established with uh, his glee during Spygates when he was running around the pitch doing doing the binoculars, the hip new dance as it was for a while. And then which game was it when he... I can't remember. Bolton at home. It was Bolton, where yeah, there was a bit of a, there, yeah. a melee on the touchline. So he, he calmly walks over, picks up a water bottle, pours some water down the back of the main aggressor and then just walks away. And then says, well, why? What's the problem here? To add weight to this, um, I would say that we tweeted from the Squareball account, our appreciation for his wind-up antics this season. And he liked that on Twitter, which suggests that he likes winding people up and yeah. likes being appreciated for it. So good on you, Matthias. I think he, I think he has mischief in him. I think he did absolutely the right thing. You put the ball in the net and you sort it out later. It's absolutely fine. That's that's. There was quite a lot of sorting out when not went on. And I think of his, I think of his reaction to the goal as well when an angry mob charged towards him. His sort of shrugging of the shoulders. What the fuck did I do? Yeah. Sort of face on it. it was brilliant. He didn't kind of go. Yeah, you know what? I've, so what? He just sort of. I meant to do that. He was like, "What's he on cross for?" <laughs> it was great because once he started running, I. Uh, so from my position on the gantry, I started cheering, like cheering on, because I knew that as soon as that ball hit the net, he there was going to be fights breaking out. And I knew it was going to cause a stink. And I wanted that to happen. So just do it. Because I was so annoyed by Grealish, so annoyed by the referee, so annoyed by Bielsa getting booked by Atwell and all this that had been going on. And the way that the first half, the halftime was, I just thought, you know, fuck it, click score this goal and let's just see what happens. I met somebody afterwards who'd been watching from the back of the cop and they said that all they'd seen, basically the ball hit the net and then smoke bombs went off. And then five minutes later, Aston Villa were scoring and in between he really, he couldn't see what was going on. So he said to me like, what happened? And I was just like, well, where actually do we start? Because <laughs> if you were, if you're watching on Sky, you, you wouldn't have had this full panoramic picture of the like fights breaking out in four different places, everything kicking off on the bench, smoke it. bombs in the, the cop. You've got big, it didn't uh, rival for a cheer. I think when Stuart Atwell gave us a free kick in the first half, <laughs> I think that was still a much, much louder cheer than this, because that's probably the loudest cheer that Ellen Rhodes experienced since the Champions League. But the, the volume in the place and just 
it's almost an inexplicable or indescribable level of wonderful chaos. And I could hear, obviously, I didn't know what was being said on Sky at the time, but I could hear in my mind's imagination Don Goodman saying, well, these are scenes that nobody wants to see in football, which I think was probably quite accurate. But also that's completely wrong because I... Absolutely loves it. Yep. loved those five minutes. We live for it, don't whether, we? Whether it's where the leads are involved, whether it's a complete nothing game between Scunthorpe and Lincoln or something that I happen to have come across, I always want to see this. Yep. Well, I don't want to always see it because the rarity of it adds a bit of zhuzh to it. That normally, if it was every week, you'd be like, oh, this is the 22-man the brawl. But when it, when it does happen, it's probably only once a season it really, really gets going yep. to this extent. I think one of the highlights of all, of all of it going on was the main to do with... Uh, Click and Mings, because Mings kind of grabs him and then Barardi appears and inserted himself sort of in between them. So Mings kind of had his arms sort of around Click and wasn't letting him go. And Barardi just kind of got in like in the middle of a hug and they just sort of marched like a really bad foxtrot towards the northeast corner (laughs) with Mings refusing to let go. Click saying... If you let me go, I'll just walk away. And Berardi just sort of in the middle, just keeping an eye like staring, wasn't he? Staring. He was he was quite remarkably restrained. And Mings is about this. a foot taller than him and about five stone heavier as well. He's a he's a massive man, he's yeah. Mings. Bar- yeah, but Berardi sees that as a Berardi does not challenge. give a shit. He just goes straight in the middle. I wanted to sort of that out once they kind of separated, then there's a whole Bamford hits the floor thing, which obviously couldn't see in the stadium what had actually happened. But then you do see Berardi appears there as well. And he does the same thing. He just gets really close to people and he's just staring at them. So when other players are coming together, so whatever there's like a coming together between a Villa player and a Leeds player, he just sort of gets in the middle of it and stares at the Villa player. Like, just watch what you're doing because <laughs> I'm here. I'm not doing anything. I'm it's here. like It's like a, par- a parent or a teacher almost, isn't it? I'm, I'm watching, just taking taking it all down. I think, it, again, it we're in. skipping out a sequence, but I think he ended up doing it to Janssen as well because I don't think he said anything to Janssen after Janssen that tried to stop the goal being scored just led him away and just stared at him right so let's deal with it again in chronological yes. order uh, El Ghazi got sent off for beating the shit out of Patrick Bamford the did poor, he? poor lad apparently so that's ba- what the ref saw what confuses me is that Bamford also got booked presumably for diving so why did Stuart Atwell send somebody off for something that he then booked somebody for no, faking it was, it was for manhandling one of the other players wasn't it he was uh, he was wrestling was uh, P-Bams before he was struck down by that violent blow to the uh, to the eyelashes I think from all of this it again just shows how badly Atwell has done because mm. within within this incident there were probably about six players who could have been sent off if these were broken down into individual little instances in in the game where two players have get up and shove each other and grab each other by the throat you typically see players sent off for that but because that happened so many times yeah. within a short period of time it was like fuck I can't send everyone off and I don't I've not even been watching I was like looking there's a smoke bomb in the in the cop I was I was watching that and picking up some pound coins that had been thrown and stuff and so at the end of it it was like uh I don't know. He got it all from his linesman as well, didn't he? There was a big debate between them and the linesman basically said, right, you need to go and talk to him and him and him and do this. He's like, oh, okay. Yeah, because Bamford had been wrestling and then he got violently hit, punched, taken out. So should El Ghazi have been sent off? (laughs) Well, I mean, that's a, that's a daft question. No, it's it's not. I think it was the right decision. No, he should. Just, he just, just was served. He shouldn't have been sent off. Hurahan should have been sent off because for his initial reaction, grabbing Klitsch like by the throat, basically yeah. and shoving him around, you normally get sent off for that. And and also, oh, you'd at least get a yellow for it. And then he was at it again. About he did about four different yellow card offences for arguing with people at various times. But the ref booked him once. And that initial moment, because that's you normally when you've got a big brawl like that or four brawls like that, you go to the one who who starts it 
and he got that right. You you started all this, so you're going to get the red card. And it and that was the first moment when a player kind of went because in in the Corinthian proper spirit of the game, if if Click scores a goal like that, surely the opposition needs to turn to the referee and say, "Sir, I appeal to your sense of fair play and the uh, the rules and regulations. Can you please make a ruling on this, to whether this goal should be allowed?" That's what John instead, Terry did. John Terry did that, didn't he? Instead, he just went and twatted Click. So that's the point. We just go right. Instead of letting me referee this game. You went and twatted a player, so I'm going to send you off. But instead, uh, he, did he even get booked, Hurricane? He did. Right. I think he got a yellow. But well, yeah. So he's seen him do it. So why hasn't he sent him off? Ah, because no animal loves him. But yeah, the Bamford thing, I mean, joking aside, like, it is awful. <laughs> it's horrendous to watch. Yeah. The only... it, is, it is bad. I, I don't mind seeing Leeds players cheat a bit, but... <laughs> The only saving grace <laughs> with it. When it's Jack Grealish, I'm furious. But well, there's limits, aren't there? I mean, even it's hard to see that and not just think, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. The only saving grace with it is looking at then the 70 minutes of dives by Grealish up to that point where he had been diving to get players booked. Uh, it's amazing, actually, that Calvin I mean, Phillips you, wasn't booked. That's a massive piece of whataboutery, but I agree completely. Well, I, no, I, I don't think it's like we should make a, a moral equivalent. I think Patrick Bamford, it would be interesting whether in another game Bamford would have done that or whether he's gone, you know what, Grealish has been doing this all fucking game. If somebody has a dig at me, I'm going to go down because this referee's a fucking idiot and he'll probably send the person off. And he's made that calculation. However, I was thinking it through. I was like, should we give Bamford the benefit of doubt? Maybe he's just gone, it's in this game. But then I remembered 10 minutes before and Bamford had chased their number four um, into the centre circle to get really near to Stuart Atwell and then he'd sort of tripped him just giving him that, and it was a, a free kick and even the Leeds players looked at Bamford and were like have you not seen this game did you not realise that's exactly because Bamford was like what have you given a free kick like that for and even the Leeds players because like, he's given a free kick for fucking everything Pat so I think I'm perhaps I'm like crediting him with too much wit and intelligence and actually he is just a big cheating I mean, soft twat considering his, uh, his probable private education he's not that bright is he sometimes as a footballer no, and without picking on him, the whole dive thing does kind of overshadow the fact that he was pretty bad in this game again. We were, after they'd gone down to, again, I'm sorry, I'm skipping out of the chronology again, but after they'd gone down to 10 men and we were basically just attacking them for 20 minutes, lots of really good moves around the box and then it would get to Bamford normally on the edge of the box and that's when they would tackle us and they'd just get the ball off him or it would just go out from his under his foot. And he, uh, yeah, he looked really, really poor and that, that just... Topped it off. If you're going to cheat, you need to be a really good player. That's why Ronaldo has got away with it for so long because people forgive it because he's got enough credit in the bank that people go, oh, I did score that hat trick in the Champions League. Bamford cheating like that after playing like he has, you can't do it. No. <laughs> well, we're 1 0 up, cruising towards a glorious victory. Everything's fine. There's some discussions on the touchline. Uh, John Terry politely says his piece, and Dean Smith. Stand-up guy that he is, because we saw that his Brentford team didn't come and do oh. loads of shit housing, and his Villa team up to that point and done loads of shit housing. I mean, as has been pointed out by several people, you know, everyone remembers earlier in the season when Brentford cheated to win a penalty against us, and obviously allowed us to to run a goal in at yeah, the other end. It's very good of them. It is weird. Smith was a saint that day. This sort of outrage of someone diving to win a penalty and scoring a goal that way isn't anything like as great as this. Somehow, no. is that think- whole spitting broken leg? thing as well as like one is an abs- is part of the game and the other one is an absolute uh, affront to all sports yeah it seems to offend the sort of sensibilities of football people more to have done this than than to just outright cheat by punching a ball in or just twatting someone to get an advantage I think the key thing with this incident specifically is what Tyler Roberts did and getting that lulled into that moment where he was like 
oh, we stop in the game and all the Villa players kind of go, oh, it's okay, yeah. Roberts is going to kick the ball out. So everybody stops and then it starts again. I think if we'd have just gone from the moment Cooper was fouled, if we'd just gone bang, 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 goal with that before there'd been any mm. like attention paid to the fact that he was on the ground. Because it's that, it's what Roberts did, basically. It's not his fault, but he was just generally caught like, oh, do I need to stop for him? So everybody saw that moment happen and the Villa players thought, oh, it's going out. So once they thought the game was stopped, that's when it becomes, I'm going to say, unfair. Because I think it, it, it was a click seized on the fact that they had stopped rather than it just being a, a flowing move that ended up with the ball in the net. They had all given up on defending. But, and I think that's the that's the problem. I, I do wonder if it had been that flowing move, whether the reaction would have been the same, that people would just been, this player was injured. Or I think there would have been an yeah. element of that, but I don't think we would have had, we would have agreed to give a goal away in that situation. It's kind of caused though by the Villas players stopping playing. If they continue, yeah. if they, like people were drawing a parallel in the first half when Forshaw was down injured and they kicked the ball out. But if Forshaw goes down injured and Berardi and I think it's Klitsch keep chasing the ball yeah. and then they go, all right, put it out. Yeah. At no point do they just stop playing well, and, go and point to the sideline and go, oh, you need to put it out, yeah. someone's injured. Whereas, they waited until their attack had finished as well. Yeah, it was like, oh, this, we've kind of going nowhere here. Yeah. We'll put we it out. As well. Yeah. Whereas so, whereas this, they instantly just went, oh, you can't you can't yeah. attack. We've got someone down injured. Like I said, they conned, they conned Roberts. I think they saw a moment where, oh, we can stop this. Our player's down and Leeds are attacking. We can make a big hoo-ha. We'll be like, oh, no, you need to stop. And they got in Roberts' head a little bit in that moment because I just think he's not as experienced. If it had been Hernandez on the ball, he probably wouldn't even have looked around. He wouldn't have been distracted. He would have just been focused on getting around the fullback. And I think then... All that would have happened then is the Villa players who had stopped look like idiots. What happened with Robert's kind of little pause is that the whole Villa team, whether they were appealing or not, is they all kind of went, oh, right, this game is stopping. It was um, nice that Robert's made it look like he was kicking it out as well, but then did a little nonchalant outside of the foot curve pass. That was It was a lovely pass. Very nice weight on it. I think that's what, what he, he just kind of looked at Click. He was like, I don't know what to do here. I'm just going to give it to you. <laughs> It's the worst person you could have given it to. Well, we're retreading old ground now, so briefly let's deal with this one. Should we have let them score? I guess the answer is no. Can we all agree at least it was very funny? It was hilarious. And just to go back, so we, we got as far as uh, John Terry and Dean Smith acting the twat on the, the touchline. I think one of the details of Stuart Atwell's performance is that while he was not dealing with anything on the pitch, by the time he'd done all that, Smith and Bielsa and Corbyn uh, with John Terry shouting the odds in the background, had sorted it out already between them. It wasn't the referee. He was then looking around, he's going to restart the match. And then I think his attention was drawn to the fact that Leeds were going to um, let a goal back in. And so he's like, oh, are they? He had to come over and he's like, oh, so what are you doing when he's supposed to be the one in charge? And um, I think that's some credit to Bielsa and I guess Smith in a way. There was a, I can't remember which report it was of the game, but they did mention that um, Smith and John Terry seemed really, really confused by the fact that when they went march, I was like, you have to give us that goal back. And Bielsa just went, yeah, I do. All right, players, let them goal. Let them score. Let them goal. And they were kind of mincing around the place. I was like, oh, no, no, but we're still really angry. Uh, what could we be angry about now you're giving us that goal back? <laughs> well, um, that was the thing with it. Everyone was remained angry even after it was like, yeah, okay, we'll make it just as it was before. But it's still not. You still did it. It's like, but it, but it's meaningless. Yes, it's going to be undone. So shut up. And that was the masterstroke by Bielsa with one eye on the playoffs and a potential playoff final against Villa. And I dare say that probably didn't come into his thinking at the time. Mm. But it's the 
the fringe benefit of that is that they could not go into that final angry about us having cheated them in the league game. Yeah, he was very clever. And he was asked that in the press conference a few times. The line of questioning was, did you let them score because of the particular circumstances here or because of the overall sportsmanship of football in general? And he said, uh, I don't, I don't understand that there's a difference. Can you maybe explain a difference to me between one game and the game in general? And maybe I can then answer your question because they were, they were teasing me. I was like, no, I mean, this game in particular, was it just to not let Villa be pissed off or was it, you know, because you believe in this as a sport? He was like, I really don't. It's the same thing. I think he knew the difference. I do think he probably, because that hypothetical has come up, if that had been the goal, if we'd won and we'd won the league, would he have let them do it? And I think he would have because of the particular Roberts moment of just seeing everybody stop. I think he would have gone, yeah, we'll sort this out because maybe that is an eye on the bigger prize as well because, uh, or not the bigger prize, but just the bigger picture because all we would have been talking about, I mean, we are talking about it, but all anybody would have been talking about would have been Leeds United promoted by this unfair goal and that would have been talked about forever. Well, it would have been and it, it wouldn't have been. There'd have probably been, the problem with that would have been if it was, if it was, there was anything at stake, there'd have been enough uproar that eventually the EFL would have managed to create some new rule and make us replay the game. Yeah. I mean, it's a good way of actually keeping it under our control. So there's not really, the only ramifications now are, uh, is Bamford going to be punished with the right Villa players, uh, sent off? Whereas the actual situation around the goal being scored and, uh, equalized, Bielsa diffused all that in that moment. And I think whatever the circumstances, he probably would have just gone, because he has that discreet picture of like what happens in a 90 minute matches sport. And I don't think the principle of it is kind of fine. You just go back to what it was just like, okay, we'll just level the scores up again. And then we carry on playing as we were. And that's kind of his belief in his system anyway. Whatever the scoreline is, you just keep doing the same thing. So to him, whether you're a goal up or a goal down, obviously that matters in the 90th minute. In the 70th minute, he probably just think, all right, we'll equalise and then we're going to score three again. And he goes, oh shit, Bamford's playing. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of the principle. He's going, like, okay, we'll, we'll give you that goal back because we're going to score three. So I think that he would have done it as well. But yeah, the only problem was uh, one, that John Terry wouldn't have it and two, that Pontus Janssen wouldn't have it. Well, we need to move on because we've done this one for long enough. However, here's a little thought for you. Imagine if something was at stake out of this one. Chris Wilder was chipping off as it was with Leeds going up. Imagine if this would have knocked them into third place. That'd have been nice, wouldn't it? I did say I was um, I was interviewed for the Times about this today. Rick Broadbent, who's a Leeds fan, asked me some questions. And I did say that um, uh, one of the delightful things, I think one of the things that confuses English football about Bielsa is the way that this whole thing was diffused. Because if Neil Warnock had been involved in that, every talk sport, every radio station would just have to cancel programming round the clock for the next two weeks because there would be nothing else we would be able to hear about. Whereas this, even his his, uh, his press conference afterwards, it very much of a piece with what he said about Spygate. He did his hour-long lecture about all his reasoning, explained it all, and then never spoke about it again until it was over. And he said, yes, I am glad it's over. Nothing else. Well, old Dean Saunders and Mike Keon were chipping off. This one, after the game, uh, so what can you tell us about that? He said, well... You all saw what happened. There is nothing more to say. In this week's Extra Ball podcast, with all this Aston Villa on the brain, we are going to be diving back into the 1996 Coca-Cola Cup final. Why? Because we love you. That's why. 23 years later, still scarred. On top of that, we're going to be tackling this one. As we all know, over the years, Leeds United have had some pretty iconic football kits. As it's our centenary coming up, 
which ones would you like to see brought back a home away and a third kit for the new season that's on the extra ball this time out helps to support this podcast if you want to get behind us push us towards that goal of doing even more of it it's 2.99 a month first month free find it at the squareball.net forward slash the extra ball hey moscow you like your hot milky beverages don't you is keith stroud asking this question nope just me then yes. Well, evidence points to it because you went for a coffee in Costa Coffee in Knotsford in Cheshire. Paul Butler was there pouring caffeine down his neck and ogling women. Why do I feel like I'm in a court of law? We Any- have proof that you drink coffee. You bought one once. Anyway, well, Paul Butler did, didn't he? Loaded with marshmallows. Not mushrooms, as I said last time. Marshmallows. Uh, we've had more coffee shop signs, actually, haven't we? We have James Park sent us uh, this uh, with an accompanying picture, I have to say, which was which is magnificent. We'll, we'll come on to that, I think. But he saw David Batty in Costa in York in 2014 wearing a sheepskin coat. Um, his wife and kids were behind me in the queue, so I don't know what they, what they ordered, but it was probably four glasses of tap water, which I like to think with Batty. But the, um, and then he saw him later in the day going into, uh, into O2 as well. But the, the sheepskin coat Batty's got on is not like anything you'll have seen in probably the last 30 years, I don't think. It's like full... There's a sort of classic footage of John Motson wearing one in the snow. And I was reminded as well of this picture just triggered a memory of a monkey wearing a sheepskin coat in Ikea. Yes, I remember the one. You remember the one? You can Google it. It's a little duffel coat. It's out there, yeah. It kind of reminded me of that as well. It looked on the photo like it was quite a a warm summer's day as well. I don't know if David was feeling a chill, but he was well wrapped up. Not the heating on at home, I I imagine. I was going to say, cheaper than central heating, isn't it, that? Investment, isn't it? Basically, a, a sheepskin coat. They'll edit on inside, which I'm, I thought it'd be a you won't feel the benefit, man, would David, but a traditionalist. But now there he was. At the other end of uh, conspicuous consumption, Liam Burton, who is at Liam Burton 92, uh, says, player spotted. I played football with Harry Cure. I had to pause before whether I wanted to actually say that name out loud. I played football with Harry Cure in his back garden back in the Champions League days before he turned out to be a bell end. He'd ordered some fruit machines and pinball machines for his house. My uncle got the job to deliver and install them and took me along as he was my favourite player at the time. I left with a signed photo of him. Upon reflection, it was a bit weird that he had a pile of squad prints at his house. Either way, the photo has since been burned and we all hate Harry Cure. He uh, very much reduced. So there's a happy ending. Yes. <laughs> I'd like to have been there for the uh, the burning of the Harry Cure photograph. I like to think with fitting in with our narrative of not liking Cure for obvious reasons that maybe he charged his small child for a, a signed photo. I won't be surprised because he did love a, a pound note or an Australian dollar bill depending on who he was shilling for at the time. As an offshoot of this, if you do have any photographs of Harry Cure lying around and you want to send us a photograph of you burning them. I, I don't know if that's something we necessarily want to, to get involved with on social media. We'll, we'll maybe make that call afterwards and, and perhaps edit this out if not. Or if you can find Harry Kuehl and set fire to his hair. Probably not. <laughs> Probably don't do it. Because <laughs> he's still just about a living, breathing human. <laughs> As a point, we probably don't want social media, media filled with these people of like burning photographs of Harry Cure. It might be attention of the wrong kind. We we do. (laughs) It's fine. Mm, No, it isn't. I'm just just thinking when that gets picked up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like the media is going to have more of a problem with Leeds. Yes. Anyway. A nice one as well from Digler Barnes, David Thornton, who said, I've got a story for you. Paul Butler in Costa feature. Paul Robinson, pumpkin picking at a farm near Harrogate. At the cafe, one of the young children ran past him and my other half suggested he should have stopped her. And Robinson's reply was, I'd have dropped her, which is fantastic. Well done, Robbo. Is nobody going to have a go at me about Bailey Peacock Farrell here? I mean, it's all set up. All the ingredients are there. 
for somebody to, to make a joke about me hating uh, homegrown Leeds United goalkeepers and none of you are doing it. Well, we don't really need to do it. You've said it in your own words there. You hate Leeds United's homegrown goalkeepers. I noticed someone tweeting at us to, uh, this week, actually, with a, a clip from... Bailey Peacock Farrell being nice with some children for the foundation and saying this is this is the latest fodder for your uh, compilation because he was allowing some some three year old children to score goals past him. Yes, I saw that. I laughed. End of season awards, even though it's not the end of the season just yet after the Villa game, and good to see Click got goal of the season. Sadly, not in a trolling fashion for his goal against Aston Villa. That would have been wonderful. Just got too late for the voting, I think. Roof's handball would have been a good one as well because that really annoyed Forest fans at the time. So this should maybe have been a shit housing moment of the season. If we we could have had a special award given who we played that day for a comeback of the season, it could have been between when Villa went two 0 up and fucked it up, or the Blackburn one. Give it to the Villa one. That could have been fun. Double Pablo as well. Well deserved, I would say. What a great season he's had. This was essentially the. It was billed quite far in advance as the Pablo Hernandez of the Year awards. It was just a question of whether Calvin Phillips might might sneak his way off with one of uh, Pablo's awards. But no, he uh, handed the trophy over to Jack Clark. I think that was uh, a sign of Phillips's growing seniority. It's like, you're not quite at the level where you win a, a Pablo of the Year award, but you can give a young Pablo award to uh, young Jack Clark, who um, probably shouldn't have won. No, Tyler Roberts, I think, can feel a, a bit aggrieved there. If Tyler Roberts was an actual homegrown Leeds lad, he would have definitely won it. But yeah. Not to, not to slag off Jack Clark. He's done quite well at times, but he's not had the time or the consistency of Roberts, who's been one of our better players in the last couple of months. And how many play- games has Roberts played this season? Probably about 30, yeah. getting on that, and played different positions as well, whereas Jack Clark just come in, been a bit flash on the wing, and then gone to hospital. <laughs> <laughs> done nothing the lad nothing good luck getting that 20 million pound transfer Ian Hart why don't you make a video of um, <laughs> all of his worst moments it would just be him being put in an ambulance over and over on a loop uh, no like Jack Clark's been very good this season and he has uh, good for the under 23s as well I don't know if you get, that gets taken into account but I think Tyler should maybe get an award as well or just Nick Jacks I mean he's soft enough threatened to put him in hospital again give me that well, congratulations as well to the under-23s who won Academy Moment of the Year for the Premier League Division North title win and uh, Adam Underwood at the Academy for his award for his work and Kath Hamill for the Ladies Player of the Year as well. Congrats one and all. The under-23s have won again tonight as well, potentially giving Edmondson a little dry run, I think, for the weekend. Um, but yeah, they won 3-2 against Coventry, so they're now they're in charge for the second leg of the uh, of the semi-final. Izzy Brown up front as well. Mm, maybe a sign of things to come. Wouldn't Didn't be- do very well. I was oh. watching it. I was going to say, wouldn't it be great if he scored the goal to take us up? But <laughs> his second touch in a lead shirt is to take us to the Premier League. But yeah, he, he wasn't brilliant. To be honest, we looked a lot better when Edmondson was on. Maybe that's also a sign of things to come. It, the under-23s were quite like the uh, first team for the majority of it. We, we were the better team throughout, but somehow we're not winning at the end. But we did, we did just sneak it in extra time. On to Bielsa as well, a, a topic we touched on on last week's podcast actually about his future, that it looked like Leeds have probably got the contractual right to retain him for another year regardless. According to his brother, yeah, he wrote uh, the contract. Indeed, and we've had some more evidence on that in the reporting on Leeds have obviously commented in the run-up to the Villa game, maybe trying to make sure some um, positive news got dripped out there that it looked like they were confident of retaining him anyway. Yeah, I mean, if it was only to kind of calm people down and like soothe everybody ahead of the, the madness of the Villa game. But um, yeah, according to Phil Hay in the YP, understood to have discussed further improvements to Thorpe Arch. And he's been asking for more changes to be made. This summer has been putting his ideas to the club's board. Is this moving the plug sockets again? 
He's been in there with his set square. They're not quite right. And then apologising to all the workmen. No, I'm really sorry I made you do that. It was so unnecessary. But uh, yes, United are in the process of drawing up separate plans for next season, dependent on how this term ends, both of which involve Bielsa as a head coach, which is great news, frankly. And if only, and I'm sure I was saying this about Heckingbottom at the end of last season, that we've not had a coach start two seasons in a row since Simon Grayson in 2012. And so I was kind of lulled into that feeling at the end of last year of like, Heckingbottom has been appalling, but can we please just not start, go through the summer of let's have a searching for a new coach. And you were right. <laughs> you should have retained him. I remember making similar arguments when we had Steve Evans. I can't believe I actually argued this. Yeah. I, I think I argued that we should keep Steve Evans in charge just because it was pointless changing it again. But then we actually got Monk and it was like, oh, okay, that, that is a decent appointment. What we're saying is we know nothing and we're idiots, isn't yeah. it? Well, no, it was just, it was my expectations at the time were that we can either keep Steve Evans and have a bit of consistency, even if it's bad consistency, or we can probably allow Chilino to pick some other obscure fuckwit that he can that he can find to work for cheap. Because what we were trying to avoid at that time, well, one, you're right, there was that craving. We just wanted stability of any kind. And it was the same with Hacking Bottoms. I just not wanting to go through this. With uh, Evans, it was because it was the predictable charade that then came to pass of Chilino not sacking him while he was flying all over Europe trying to find a replacement because he said, uh, and while Evans was still in post, he said, I cannot work with an English coach. I never want to work with a, a British coach ever again. And then uh, he said, I go to Italy, I find a very special person. Comes back, hires Gary Monk. And then he tells, he gets somebody else to tell Evans to piss off. So it was all that. We knew it would happen. We didn't want it to happen. Bielsa is different now. We actually want to keep this person, which is a little bit like Gary Monk as well. I think we wanted him to to stay because, oh, just outside the playoffs. Got the next stage with him and that didn't work. But Bielsa's staying. Bielsa's staying. That's good. I like Bielsa's staying. You see the news on um, Steve Evans, That I think it was the local paper around Gillingham, Ran a poll about would you want Steve Evans as uh, as the new Jill's boss? No, <laughs> overwhelmingly no. That's surprising. Heckingbottom was in the news as well at the weekend. He was uh, very angry because he was sworn at by the fourth official during the game, and he said uh, afterwards he opened his interview on the BBC by saying, "If he'd said that to me in any other scenario, I would have knocked his teeth out." Or in. I can't remember if his teeth were going out or in. He was certainly knocking his teeth somewhere. But he certainly, yeah, it looked like Packingbottom's got his cocky mojo back where he's kind of swaggering and is like, yeah, I would have knocked that fourth official's teeth out, which is very different to how he was at Leeds when he, he'd barely just like, yeah, uh, I'm really hoping to try and train some of the players to like do good stuff with the ball, without the ball maybe some stuff with the ball, without the ball, get some plans in place for summer. And now he's all knocking everybody's teeth out left, right and centre. Well, thank the Lord, it looks like we will retain Bielsa regardless of which division we end up in. But will it be the same as this year? It was interesting to see his press conference through the week where there were a number of interpretations that came forward, but uh, some clarifications from Marta, who's the Argentinian fan who comes over to to watch Leeds, or did this weekend, uh, cleared it up and said actually he was talking the players up rather than down. The quote that was worrying in a sense was when he said that the players won't be able to repeat in another season the level performance They've shown, and what, and a, a lot of people took that to mean that these players basically aren't going to be good enough next season. But the root, it was all part of. It was a, a a very long answer. I know that's untypical for Marcelo when he was talking, particularly about pressure and the pressure that they'd been under. And his his bigger point was that we've been hugely unlucky with not being able to score any goals and hugely unlucky with injuries. And those two acts of God, he said, has basically been against us this season, which perhaps is 
relevant to the, the blasphemy ban. And because of that, that's created an incredible amount of pressure and that he then judges players by how well they continue their standards under that pressure. And he said, you can't fault the players because they've basically played well enough to win the league under this extraordinary pressure. And his point was kind of, you won't get that pressure in another season. You're not going to be that unlucky again. So the players won't have to reach that level of performing underneath that pressure. So essentially we could be uh, worse than we have been next season and we could romp the league and finish first. It's kind of what he was getting at. But because of the, uh, I think the way it was translated and the way that the two points were kind of disconnected by how long his answer was, it got taken as uh, we're going to have to sell every single player we have and buy new ones, which I don't think is going would be feasible. But also in Bielsa's sound, I don't think it would be desirable. And we remember a couple of months ago, he was saying he's not looked at the Premier League in any in any depth to see if, how we would do there, but that the players he has could have performed very well in his Athletic Bilbao or Marseille teams in the Europa League. So yeah, he was talking about basically this season has been a complete head fuck from start to finish and the players have done magnificently and they will do, uh, they won't have to be that good when they're not being as fucked in the head and the legs as they have been this season. We've had a lot of leg fuckery to be fair because we've lost all the left backs. Thankfully Dallas has been cleared for the playoffs by the looks of it today, this afternoon. Who would have been our fifth choice left back in any other, in any other given season? Izzy it's, Brown. It's almost impossible to think through enough levels of left back in any other season but we've somehow managed it this year. Bielsa gets some criticism for his thin squad, but he has sort of some of the players he's kept. Like uh, He used Luke Ayling as an example uh, when he was talking about it. He said, uh, you can say I haven't got enough players, but I've got Bill who can play in 11 positions, so I'm fine. And that has kind of come to pass because uh, when you talk about who is uh, would be our fifth choice left back, how are we in the position where Alioski is our first choice left back? Because he's not really a left back. And Stuart Dallas is the left back that we've just lost, who is not a left back. And yet they've been perfectly fine in those positions. Alioski better than Barry Douglas and Stuart Dallas didn't really offend me, particularly <laughs> against uh, Brentford or against Villa. You've checked. Since you've started sitting on the gantry, you've disconnected from the common man. That's what's happened. So listen to you. It didn't offend me. Like a Roman emperor giving the thumbs up <laughs> or the thumbs down. I'm not offended by you today, Dallas, for once. Although he did have a couple of particularly witless shots against uh, against Villa. But it's probably better that we have some sort of left back rather than... Although Berardi was good when he came on and played there. He's uh, he's really adapted to his job when he plays left back of just pass it inside to Pablo Hernandez and then run. <laughs> he's good at that. And then if they attack, run back and kill them. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You touched on it before, and let's lay our hands on it again. The blasphemy bat on the God Rod. We'll try and keep this brief. Started in January, test of God's preference, Stoke or Leeds. Nathan Jones, Stoke manager, very religious. Beat Marcelo, Preston beat them. Remained unbeaten for two months, so kept possession of the baton. It went through Reading, Hull and Middlesbrough. Forest then beat Borough and then QPR, so they retain. And hilariously, the God Rod could ultimately end up in the hands of Bolton, whose players have gone on strike. It's either Forest or Bolton on the last game of the season. Is the potential for uh, if Bolton like go bust and have to start again in like step seven of the non-league football pyramid? Does the God Rod go all the way down there? Does it start, um, maybe it's bestowing its Could its end favors. up at Tadcaster Albion or something <laughs> next year. The grassroots God Rod. <laughs> and God does love in the meek because they will inherit the earth. So that would be fine. Are there many meek people in Tadcaster? I mean, that, the, it was the guy who runs Sam Smith Brewery. He's never struck me as a particularly meek kind of fellow. He's well cocky, banning phones in his pub. Can't even fucking swear in a Sam Smith pub. Did make me laugh that if it does end up in the hands of Bolton, because they are going to have to fulfil their fixtures potentially by playing the kids, aren't they? And of course, God loves children. We found that from the Bible, as you would know from one of the many passages that probably spring to mind, such as well, probably my favourite would be Mark uh, Mark ten sixteen. Um, and he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Do you have a favourite there, Moscow? I mean, that is good. I mean, that's, uh, that's just my. That's just the one I I've chose because I that's something that always sticks with me. What immediately sprang to mind to me just now um, was Psalm 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 one two seven colon three dash five. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Are children born in one's youth? Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Which is very much Bolton's destiny there, isn't it? It's either them or it's Forrest, Roy Keane. Well, I think just going back to that, we are looking at uh, God taking the children in his arms, uh, blessing them and essentially protecting them. And somebody fucking needs to protect the children of Bolton, given that Sean Harvey's plan for the young folk of Bolton is to break a strike and play championship level football uh, age whatever oh well if you can't get the under 18s to do it go and go and get the under 15s <laughs> well where are your where are your under 12 players ah oh, then go to the workhouses and collect some boys they force them to play this match whether it's well I dread to think what nefarious means he would force children to play but you can't what kind of strategy is that? Oh, your entire club's falling apart. Your players are on strike because you haven't paid them for two months. Just go and get some children to do it. Fucking the whole safeguarding controversy gripping the English Football League that they're not fucking investigating properly anyway. And it's like, just put some fucking kids out. They'll be fine. What's the worst thing that can happen to the young children who are the future of this game? Twat. Well, we've got a preview of the last game of the regular season coming up. We're playing Ipswich at the weekend uh, in a shit or boss match. Is, is that about? Well, anyway, we'll look at that in just a bit. First of all, heroes and villains. First is villains, the Ken Bates Villainy Award. People who have darkened our door a little bit. I just want to put a forward an idea here, if we may, uh, and say mm-hmm. Ken Bates will get a nomination momentarily. Can I just 
maybe make a ruling and say, this might be a time to reintroduce, and newer listeners, you'll have to get acquainted with this, the Moscow Book of Petty Grievances. Because I feel like some people are deserved of a nomination of villainy and some maybe should just go in your Book of Petty Grievances. A real book, we should add. It's been stolen by Chris Wilder at the moment. He's got it. I heard him talking drunkenly on their uh, YouTube channel and he's got it and he's filled it. You know, in um, The Shining, where he just writes all work and no play writes, makes uh, Jack a door boy. Um, he's filled it with just the words, I hate Patrick Bamford over and over again. Chris Wilder is obviously one of the, the nominees for complaining, well, for getting pissed up for his end of season promotion celebration video and saying, we've had one defeat in 13. I've got Muppets from Leeds talking about the pressure being on us. The Muppets. He <laughs> He's drunk. <laughs> um, Bamford, for sure. A couple of others. So you this, that, the other. And they got beat seven times since Christmas. We've been beaten once. Why is he a cockney? We set up, I don't know. Are we, what's a Sheffield accent? I don't know. Just, Just like, the, yeah. the sound of knives and forks rattling in his mouth. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the whole, it's, it's an incredibly graceless interview. Because he's, he's handled himself quite well up until the point where he had a couple of shandies at their, their Christmas, uh, their promotion do and decided to, uh, there you are, you got, is that that camera from YouTube? I can bring it over here. I've got something to say. <laughs> Why is he a cockney? <laughs> he's not a cockney. <laughs> they got beat seven times since Christmas. We've been beaten once. We've steamrolled it. Fucking ex-wife as well. She's a bitch. The bit where, well, that's... She is, is she? It's Fucking not, hell. It's not his ex-wife. <laughs> it's Bamford that he talks about because he's like, we had Bamford and Forshaw and then somebody asks him about the uh, the Villa game. It was after the Villa game. It says, full respect, Marcel. The way I handled that. Not full respect <laughs> to Patrick Bamford. <laughs> and then it comes like ages... Still don't know why he's a cockney. Ages later, it says... He's got like, as if he's forgotten. He's like, anyway, what did you ask me? Oh, yeah, Villa again. Watching game today. Absolutely. 100% credit. Marcel Bielsa, but not to back Patrick Bamford, obviously. But the manager, I think he comes out. And it's that, like, how many times is he just going to like, he's like, oh, well, I've been shopping day out in Leeds. Oh, lovely city, but like, that's not, I'm not saying Patrick Bamford, like he's like, not backing him. Leeds, lovely player. Building society, fuck great, like best building society. But Bamford isn't. And I'm, like, a, I'm a real dad anyway. <laughs> not him, I know he lives with her, he just lives with her mum. Fuck all to do with her. It's amazing. This is, we had a disappointing game against Millwall. A disappointing game against Bristol City. We came back and won. Disappointing game against Millwall. Came back. Bang. Forest win. Three, two. Deal with that. I don't even know what that means. Three, bang. Win. Three, two. Not Bamford. Not, I said bang, not bam. Because Bamford... Just, no respect to Just, just checking that. So he's in the Petty Grievances book, is he? He's got it. Well, he's just filled it with Patrick Bamford in to go and get it back when he sobers up. Anyway, as is customary... Graceless, graceless prick. As is customary. Enjoy getting absolutely humiliated in the Premier League, including by Leeds United. As is customary, we need to nominate Ken Bates first for uh, for something. What's he getting nominated for? I've Recently, I've started to like try and look back at Bates' history to try and find almost as a nice little 
snapshot feature to look look back at the happy times we spent with Ken Bates. Start of May 2011, um, Ken Bates bought Leeds United off himself, essentially. <laughs> well, no, it was it was owned offshore, of course. By um, the this is when the people who owned it, no one knew who they were, including Sean Harvey, um, who was working for them um, in the Premier League because it looked like the time we might go up. The Premier League said that's not going to be okay, mm. and so quick as a flash, most football takeovers take a while. On this occasion, Ken Bates was able to get on the phone to these people. I don't know, he must have had a contact or something. He must have had a, a mysterious number he could ring. Some phone box in the British Virgin Islands yes. uh, rang and they answered and said, yeah, you can you can have it. It's strange because if you don't know who owns something, you'd think it would be quite difficult to buy them off them, buy it off them. But Yeah, it went straight through. Thank goodness we had Sean Harvey there, though, just to make sure that everything was in, in order and above board for his you know future career in administrating football. Yes, uh, signing off on a statement on the club website that described the football governance inquiry by the, the parliament and the football leagues as scaremongering. <laughs> I wonder how we'd feel like that. Was the, the Spygate inquiry, was that scaremongering? Sean. Feels like we've got a lot of unresolved issues about that time. But anyway, we should maybe think of some more uh, contemporary villainous nominations. Jody Morris. (laughs) Just because he chipped in about... um, Morality, wasn't it? Yes. Well, he completely, uh, he contradicted himself as well anyway, saying I'm a massive advocate. Surely if um, Chris Wilder was a a cockney, Jody Morris should be Sean Bean. (laughs) But we're, I'm a massive advocate of not kicking the ball out too many people's getting physios on for newt but to slow down and look like you're going to kick your dude and play <laughs> someone in that's offside not literally but I don't know if he's saying morally offside was click morally offside I don't know <laughs> who I don't know what, I don't know what that is bearing in mind that anything that we said about Jody Morris being at Leeds United we would have to bleep out for legal reasons and he is as I always come back to this that little is banned from uh, that's one of the things you have to bleep out that is banned from talking about his time at Leeds he had to sign a legal agreement never to speak about it and he was one of the people on fucking Frank Lampard's side was well, assistant manager and all that spy guy so oh can't believe Leeds have done this whereas when you were at Leeds you I think we should probably move on from that don't you yes. seems like safer territory who else would you like to nominate quite generic but just fans of other clubs <laughs> it's quite big <laughs> it's very broad but I think it was a Huddersfield fan I saw doing it and some, some probably a Derby fan they're quite they're quite angry but when they, they kind of weigh in on these issues going this is just morally completely wrong it's disgusting it's, it's I fucking hate Leeds I mean I'd be saying it if anyone did this yeah clearly they wouldn't they would not have if Bolton had done this a Huddersfield account is not not tweeting about this mm. but they're just obsessed with us and it's quite pleasing in a way I think the Squareball account was targeted by the Jack Grealish Obsession account that seems to go around hunting mentions of Jack Grealish. But if you were to start up a similar thing for Leeds United, you would, you'd probably have to, you'd have to have a team of people running it day and night. And incidents like this only highlight that all the more. We were on the 10 o'clock news. Yeah, we are very important. We're on CNN. More important than any other club then. CNN covered this and it was all like the Spygate manager, the crazy guy in England that you've heard about, has now, look what he's done now. It does make me laugh that, this weekend, you saw Chris Wilder's chippiness, really, really quite angry. They went up, Norwich went up. Both remarkable stories in themselves. They've both done really, really well. There are also two teams slugging out a 200-point Premier League title, one of the tightest, most memorable Premier League title chases in many a years. And they're talking about little old Leeds. Isn't it just lovely? It is. It's, it's lovely. Warm, so maybe we shouldn't be uh, nominating Stuart Atwell for... No, we definitely should. So Stuart Atwell is uh, nominated for his performance at the weekend and for a lifetime of uh, making small animals sad. Grealish obviously has to go in there. 
I think the thing with him is he's a decent player. He's perfectly fine, but he's I'd say he's about a tenth as good as he thinks he is. Mm. He he genuinely thinks. I'm sure in his own mind, if you asked him what level do you think you can play at, he'd be like Barcelona, Barcelona, Real Madrid, champ, like Champions just, League semi finalist. Waiting minimum. for Messi to retire, but then he's too fucking shy to leave Birmingham, so he's just stuck at Villa instead. He's like a shit Matt Letizier. That's what he's going to be remembered as. And it was telling, this is almost, uh, we could almost nominate it for Hero of This, but um, LUFC Data on Twitter posted the stats of Jack Grealish in all his games this season where he has some like 10 shots per game in his possession and stuff. And against Leeds, he didn't touch the ball inside our penalty area once. Calvin Phillips basically marked him out of the game completely. And I've seen a couple of uh, more reasonably minded Villa fans who spotted that and said, Phillips did an absolutely excellent job on what is actually, he's quite a dangerous player, um, if only because of the deluge of hair oil that he leaves in his wake that players then slip on. Speaking of Grealish and fans of other clubs, to pull those together, there was a, uh, a tweet that I saw. It was something along the lines of Jack Grealish lives inside the heads of supporters of every other club mm. in this division. And it's like, no, he's, he's really not. He's really not. He was just, he was just a dirty little diver, wasn't he? And, and that's it. I won't remember him after we've beaten him in the playoff final. I think the thing is, every every team does have players like this, but like with Alioski, we know what he is and we kind of embrace it for what it is, whereas Villa fans seem obsessed with the fact that he doesn't dive. He's not been booked for diving this year, has he? So he can't dive. It's like, no, he, he's getting away with it, is what he's doing. Dean Smith's description of him as being targeted in this game and the Leeds players did like used him as a punch bag, I think he might have said, which is just so divorced from the reality. He was like, nobody could get near enough to punch him because he threw himself Patrick Bamford style on the floor before anybody could get near enough to even waft a hand in his direction. Are we nominating Bamford, by the way? Yeah, I suppose so. He's not on the list, but yeah, now it occurs to me. No, Pat. I want him in the hero, but I think he did a sterling job. I think he did great. Well done. Ah, it doesn't annoy Because me. we hate Grealish diving, but when P-Bams does it, it's absolutely fine. If Pablo had done it, I might have forgiven him, but... I mean, Hurahan should be, whatever his name is, Hurahan should be in there for his violent attack on uh, poor Click. and his... Although he didn't flinch when he got punched, which was quite quite impressive. I think I think Hurahan probably thought this is going to hurt him, and he was like, a bit like he was with the goal, shrugged his shoulders like, what's that for? Think, There's no need for that, Connor. I think sweeping up from the Aston Villa game, probably John Terry needs to be uh, nominated for trying to keep the whole argument going long after it had gone. So he'd be just think, getting mm, over the face. like, fucking Frank told me about you, Marcelo. Fuck off. Foreigner. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is why I wanted to introduce the book of petty grievances, though, because I don't think we need to enable John Terry. I think we should just petty grievances him. Though it looked to me like he was shushing Bielsa. And fuck off, John. Don't shush Bielsa. Bielsa wasn't saying anything to him at that point anyway. It was all, it was because Janssen had tried to stop the goal, putting in and Bielsa's moving on, but Terry's like, no, we still need to argue. Having a go at Bielsa, who's told him to let a goal in because someone who he has clearly not had got control over has done something, is like, well, John, I told him not to do it. Yeah, what do you want me to do? But it's true, like, we don't want to enable John Terry, but I think sadly... We are going to be hearing a lot of this over the next few weeks because this the the way that the kind of the story seems to be unfolding. If there is an overarching story of the rest of the season, it is that we uh, we now go and beat Frank Lampard's Derby County in the playoff semi-finals, and that sets up this playoff final at Wembley, the home of English football, against John. One of Terry. the lions, one of the lions, the heroes against John Terry's Aston Villa, where he'll be doing it for Frank Junior, doing it for Frank Senior, for Harry, for everybody. It'll basically, it will be Marcelo Bielsa versus all the tiresome pricks that embody 
English football, embody the worst of English football. And then when it does kick off on the pitch, I mean, it's going to kick off somehow. Something's going to happen. Berardi's going to snap Grealish in the middle of Wembley and it's not going to go calmly. But I think it's all, it's all going that way. So we can't, we can't consign John Terry just to this small petty grievance box because I think he is still going to be around to uh, annoy us. To be air ambulanced out off from the playoff final. <laughs> Who's having our, uh, our villainy award? If we gave it to Stuart Atwell, he might just, like, it would be a human response from another person. And I don't think he deserves, like, any kind of... Human love, attention, warmth. Yeah, he just should be ignored. I feel, and there's a lot of... Grealish is obviously the one whose irritating little face pops into my mind as we think about this. But then Chris... I'm tempted to give it Chris Wilder so that when he sobers up and wakes up and he sees this award on the bedside table, it's like... Oh, fucks this. You're going to have to come around and apologise. <laughs> Not to Bamford, though. <laughs> Not anybody but Bamford. Congratulations, Chris Wilder. And we need a hero now. And front and centre, I want Matthias Click to have this for his goal, for his shithousing, for his appreciation of our appreciation of his shithousing. He's a strong contender. We've also got, we just mentioned Berardi sending John Terry away in a air ambulance. Pontus um, as well, actually, for getting riled by instructions, clear instructions to let a goal in and not let, not doing it. Okay. See, I, I would have been tempted to put him in the villains, actually, Jansen, because you, you listen to Bielsa. If he was ignoring the instructions of Heckingbottom at the end of last season, I would have mm. probably thought, yeah, fair enough. Something, it, someone needs to do something. It was a right old argument as well. It didn't come across on the TV, I don't think, but from close up, they would yelling at each other for quite a while. And Janssen, Janssen's is very emotional, isn't he? As you'll be able to read in the new issue of 442 that comes out next week, uh, interview with Pontus Janssen about being an emotional Who, d- who did that? Uh, some prick. Mm, 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 yeah, some prick. Uh, me, because he was quite nice to chat to. So I'd, like, I'm not going to let you nominate him as villain. That's gone anyway. Chris Wilder's won it. Um, but Berardi, for sorting everyone out, I think his, uh, when he came on at halftime, um, not realising that Stuart Dallas was injured, I did think he had just been brought on to, uh, let's say, correct Jack Grealish's behaviour. Um, but instead he, he corrected everybody's behaviour. It's probably for the best that he wasn't near John Terry when that was all going on, because in a way it was more heated on the bench. And I don't think he would have tolerated John Terry for very long. Told you, Swiss, neutrals. I think Victor Orton needs to go in for his for his yelling at the awards. Yeah, I think honourable honourable mention rather than outright well, nomination. I, don't know, I, I took it as um I took it as a him promoting our merchandise. Mm. So it depends how many t-shirts we have so, sold off the back of him yelling "Vamos!" leads Caraggio at the the Player of the Season awards. If it's been a direct uptick in sales, hero. If it's just a couple, then. No, cheers, Victor. But Watch no. this space. And if you do want to get a Leeds Carajo mug or indeed T-shirt, comes in two colours, doesn't it? No, officially endorsed by Leeds United, it seems. Yeah. You can grab those via links at thesquareball.net. That was awful, but necessary. Yes, because everybody should own at least one of those T-shirts and mugs. Without a doubt. Because they are fantastic. Uh, Marcelo should have a uh, mention, at least, for being unable to say the word Ipswich, which I loved. Ice bitch. <laughs> It's, it's, it's brilliant. Ice, 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 bitch. And he just seemed, and before the match, there's this, the, the kids who was crying because he was obviously overcome with emotion at meeting. Beatlemania, um, wasn't it? Like yeah. Beatlemania. He, he, uh, first of all, that little tweak of the cheek he gave him. And then seeing that he was obviously still crying, he went back to him and was like, no, oh, it's, it's okay. I, I bless you, my child. 
was uh, was lovely. And just, I guess, for his, because uh, we're all a bit worried about him, his pre-match press conference and for not, like if you if we did still have Heckingbottom when we had been in the same situation, imagine him just sitting there the way he used to, where he kind of almost used to put put his legs up on the, on the table and just going like, yeah, if any uh, Leeds fans have been sad, I'd have knocked the teeth out. Bielsa was like, no, I'm, I feel the responsibility for making the Leeds fans sad. And that is why I express my sadness here today. And then I feel the responsibility for this Aston Villa situation being absolutely hilarious. Therefore, me and Salim are just going to tell some jokes for 20 minutes. Does anybody want to play for Leeds United? I ain't got a left back. (laughs) Right. Well, this is the Andy Hughes Hero Award, recognition of somebody who's brought us happiness. Who has brought us the most happiness? Matthias. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Click all day. Final league game of the season then. Ipswich Town away. Nothing riding on this. It's the big one. It's the big one, isn't it? (laughs) The one that we were begging for 16,000 tickets for. Every hotel in Ipswich was booked until a week ago. Get those reservations cancelled and get them remade. Hotels in London, bank holiday weekend, because Leeds are going up. Leeds are are going up. We are going up. Yeah, my uh, positivity last week has not been displaced by any of the events since. Enhanced, surely, no? Yeah, I think so. It's um, Obviously, the playoff final is going to be a bit of a lottery and it's going to be a bit of uh, a grudge match. But we are, yeah, it's clear to me that we are beating Derby in the semi-finals and we are playing Aston Villa in the final and winning. I think we're winning. I think we, it's our destiny to go up to the Premier League and uh, show Sheffield United and Norwich how the Premier League is done. Ipswich, don't even know how to say it. <laughs> it's almost irrelevant to this discussion. I just hope um, that their town does not get smashed up. The only real thing that might be interesting is if we rest some players and maybe give, like Bogus was on the bench, wasn't he, on the weekend, give Shackleton a run out. Who knows? It does seem unlikely though. It's just going to be the classic Bielsa of, no, I have to play the fittest available team. Apparently, I always say his name wrong, Kamar, Roof is going to be back from injuries. So that means uh, perhaps Bamford will be banned by this match. And I can't be alone in thinking that that might be for the best. (laughs) All in all. I did have similar thoughts, I have to say. Because he likes to stick with the team, doesn't he? Yeah. Although I think this happened before Preston when Bamford came out and scored two goals, but mm. but equally, what do you get? What do you really prove by scoring two goals against Ipswich? And we had that. It was only uh, we talked about it on the last podcast, saying that it's time for Bamford just to come out of the firing line, get Roof back in, go back to that team from the start of the season. And that might be the one argument for not playing kids in this game is some get get some positivity back in the legs, get back to that team, and that team was Roof up front. Then obviously he had to go and get a bloody hip injury because he's not been injured enough this season. So we didn't see him against Villa. And it is worth perhaps pointing out that the, the downside of the Villa game is we we didn't really score a proper goal. I know we scored a goal. Yeah, there was that. But we didn't really score. a pro- And against 10 players, again, we, we didn't. Defending was shocking as well. Uh, also, they like statues, weren't they? Yeah. So that I think, um, yeah, get Roof in. I am looking on whoscored.com because we may as well go through it. It switches strengths. Do we have to? Stealing the ball from the opposition. That's it. They are very weak at finishing scoring chances, defending set pieces and avoiding individual errors. Weak at keeping possession of the ball. One of their best players this season has been Matthew Pennington. I noticed they didn't play their um, their completely lousy goalkeeper against uh, Sheffield United at the weekend, almost as if they wanted to give themselves a chance in that game, I don't know if they'll go back to Biakowski to uh, so Hernandez can just um, pop a corner over his head yet again. 
I wonder if that counts as very weak at defending set pieces because you can just score directly from a corner against them. So that's Ipswich. Top goal scorers, Edwards and Sears, got six each. That's not very good. Um, <laughs> what else? Freddie Sears, four assists. The next best player's got two. That's not very good. Best rated player all season. Should, get you, on, uh, should get you on Sky Sports doing the Who's, next to the big screen just with some stats next yeah. to you going... Not very good. Yeah, we can, get we, the top, let's get the top scorer list up here. We can see here from the ratings on uh, who scored. Salah, that's Pennington, good. Six point eight nine. Well, that's basically all Martin Keown does, doesn't it? So, oh, you can see here on the replay, he's uh, he's taken the ball around the defender and then he's had a shot, and that's a great goal. Anybody could do this nonsense. It is it like Chambers has made forty two appearances, so he's. Um, played every single game but he does not appear in their top five highest rated players so he's been in the bottom half of their first 11 but played every single game god Ipswich are shit aren't they but uh, they're quite they seem to quite like Paul Lambert they're all on board with uh, Paul Lambert's Barmy Army oh and we shouldn't uh, because whenever Ipswich comes up Mick McCarthy always comes to mind and his response to uh, them sacking him and then getting relegated is that, oh, obviously it's a shame like people are going to lose their jobs and uh, uh, there's some great people there. But to the uh, the fans who slagged me off, I hope you enjoy the sexy football in League One. <laughs> <laughs> like, fucking get in there, Mick. Just before we clock off for this episode of the Square Ball podcast, we obviously know now, Moscow, you feel unrelenting positivity. We're going up. Yep. I agree with you. I think this is our season. I am very confident. Not assured, but I'm confident that we will win at Wembley. I've got mm-hmm. a good feeling about it. Just you to cover off, Michael. How are you feeling about this then? Playoff defeat. No. I'd, I'd initially, I think I predicted months back we'd lose to Frank Lampard's Derby County, which I, th- I think maybe I'd pictured it was going to be at Wembley, which it can't be now, I don't think. But we can do it in the semi. You think we're going to lose in the playoff semi-finals? No, 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 no. Only, only a fool would would say this sort of thing. It's on my um on my birthday as well. One of the games is looking like, which would follow up from Millwall beating us, um, well, drawing with us to go through on my birthday in League One. Can so. you not just stay the same age this year, like Peter Pan? <laughs> is that not easier to arrange so we don't I, risk cursing this? Given the look of me, I think I prefer getting older. It, it explains more. <laughs> We will swing you back round after the first leg victory at Pride Park. We will definitely get you on board with the uh, with the Wembley train. Hey, thanks for listening to this one. Then check out the merch online on the website, mugs, t-shirts, the full shebang. And if you're not yet subscribing to the Extra Ball, check it out. Have it free on us for a month. See if you fancy it. Two ninety nine a month thereafter. It's all at thesquareball.net. We'll speak to you next time after Ipswich. The Square Ball Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.